So there's been plenty of time for what I would call distraction from actually witnessing and feeling the moment. In fact, I'm only kind of coming to this awareness now that that breath work I did this morning where I felt those feelings for Bindi, that's the first time I've really kind of felt that since she was born. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey folks, it's RJ Singh here at Ultra Habits. Thank you for coming on another week's journey as we dive into a conversation with Brandon Cliff. Now, I've been on Brandon's podcast two times. He is the host of the Mankind Project, a movement focused on healthy masculinity and helping redefine what it is to be a man in the world today. So for those of you that aren't overly familiar with the Mankind Project, they are a network of men that provide support, learning, education, development, mind, body, spirit in a community that is rounded with men of all different ages. Now, a lot of the work they do is really tapping into the inner boy and challenging what we've learned as men. You know, some of the assumptions that we've grown up with as to what masculinity is, some of the social constructs that have been laid upon us. Mankind Project challenged this, this really. And the conversation that I have with Brandon we, we tap into this, we, we dive into his journey with redefining masculinity for himself, how and why he got involved in the Mankind Project. He's recently become a father, which is interesting. I really wanted the opportunity to get him on the show right at the beginning of his journey into fatherhood to really understand how his perspective has shifted. You know, he's in the pain cave. He's loving life. He's enjoying life. Obviously, at times, it's getting hard. The whole paradigm shift, you know, being a partner and now having a, a wife that you're sharing a journey of parenthood with, you know, it completely changes the dynamic of the relationship. And I wanted that opportunity to have this conversation with Brandon while he was still early in this transition process, because I think there's going to be lots of nuggets and takeaways for young men out there or anyone out there that is about to go on the parenting journey. So I, um, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Brandon. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Really start to think about, particularly if you're a man, how masculinity and your view of masculinity isn't necessarily as healthy as it can be. What are some of the things that you might have picked up in your journey through, you know, social constructs, through media, what was passed down to you from the men in your family? Like, what are those things in those belief systems that you have that really would lend itself to some good testing and challenging? Anyways, folks, I'm out of here. Thanks, as always, for supporting the show. Peace. If you haven't already, do go to www.ultrahabits.co. Check out what we're doing. Brandon, welcome to Ultra Habits. Good morning from your alma mater, Australia. 
Yeah, mate. Good morning. Good afternoon from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Great to be here. Oh, it's funny how we always joke about a Australian that grew up in America now living in Australia and an Australian that grew up in Australia but has an American dad now living in America. I know. Traded places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we were to look at kind of how we've adopted the other culture and have a conversation about that, like, you know, kind of where we both landed in that whole integration piece. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, let's, let's do that because I've never even thought to connect on this level with someone, you know, born in America, living in Australia, identifying, you know, perhaps those cultural differences or what's just what, happening. So let's what, do it. What do you find to be the biggest difference being in Australia? I'm sorry, in, in, in the US as an Australian? You know, it's challenging to answer that because you probably know this to be true in the States. America could be sectioned up into multiple different countries. It it really is like there is a lot of difference, say, where I live in the southeast as opposed to the northwest or the northeast. Um, but if I could broad stroke the difference, one thing I do not remember, and it could have been my age, or it could have been the people I was surrounding myself with. But when I was living in Australia, I was 20, I was 25 when I moved, 26. I never, ever spoke about politics. Couldn't have, couldn't have cared less of what was happening in politics in Australia. And then here, it's almost like, hi, Bill, 33, accountant, Republican. Like, what? <laughs> Like, there's just so much um, associate, and I'm broad stroking here because not everyone is that way. And I, I firmly believe that majority of people out there, regardless of their political beliefs, don't want to be having these conversations as well. But there, there seems to be such a, a binary established on how one voted in the last election of, you know, that's going to inform my feelings and thoughts about, yeah. So... I have reserved myself to be politically homeless and that keeps me out of many conversations that I just don't care to have. So that's yeah. been my, what I've witnessed. I'm curious of your thoughts and then I want to hear what differences you see. Well, the interesting thing is I too left when I was 26 to come to Australia. And at that age, I wouldn't have been involved in you know, paying taxes, concerned with kind of political agendas. I was from California, which is even, it's unique in itself where it's extremely diverse, very liberal, obviously. And I think when you're growing up in California, you don't necessarily have a view of what's happening across the country because what's happening in California is not necessarily representative of what's happening down South. But I would say that in Australia, there is less um diversity in opinion right like it's a pretty it's a diverse country but in terms of the polarized views you, you don't really have that so people aren't as intense around the political dialogue because of that mm. but also Australians by nature have a bit of contempt towards anything leadership and you would never find Australians really other than bagging and slagging the politician even if they're good and and it's not necessarily done in a, a, a mm -hmm. you know in, in a in a mean way but like 
Australians just don't really have, I think, the willingness to dive into deep political conversations. And and I don't think that Australians, and I think this is partly why Australians, as compliant as Aussies are, you know, they'll whinge and moan about decisions made, but they'll be compliant. I think Australians will never give in to evangelic leaders because Australians <laughs> Australians don't really like to be pontificated to. They kind of are cynical. And in many in many ways, they're like, come on, dude. Like so I think in that way, there's no Messiah complex here, which I think the United States is is very prone to. Um, that guy or that woman's the answer. The uh, there's definitely this. Yeah, I love how you say the Messiah complex. Like, there's definitely a cult of personality that is created. I mean, just look at the former president. Um, there was definitely like, especially being here in the southeast, I witnessed it a lot. People that otherwise would tell you uh, disgusting behavior, disgusting language, shouldn't talk that way. You know, a narcissist, whatever. Mm-mm. They would have laid. They would have been at January 6th storming the Capitol if they had a if they had a choice, if they had the ability to be there. So it, it was quite intriguing to witness people be so I don't know the words, but 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 yeah, to be so polarized in a sense of, you know, this person because some bloke said that Trump was coming back to save the world and, you know, it's it is it is in written in scripture and whatever. And I was like, oh God, if that doesn't give you a Messiah complex, I don't know what does. Um so I found all that very intriguing to witness. I definitely came out of the 2020 elections with a hangover. That's for sure. Because I did start to, I wanted to at least know where my vote was going. And yeah, so that was an interesting thing for me to witness of how many people buy in so heavily to what's happening politically. Whereas my experience in Australia is, is the pub still serving chicken parmies in a pint for $5 between 4 and 6 p.m. and is the surf good? That's that's what we really really cared about. So yeah. it, it it it's I think that particularly globally it's it's happening. But in 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 the U.S., I think people forget that in the in the on the macro level, Republicans and Democrats and individuals actually have a lot more in common. Yes. And unfortunately, their political views, I mean, they're still both liberal in the sense they both believe in democracy and the freedom of choice. Uh, What's been lost is the ability to debate. And people are becoming tribal about their political views. And if you put it on kind of, if, if you look at it, on a macro level, like Republicans and Democrats, you know, as as individual humans, but even as a political party, have far more in common than um, than than they than they don't. Yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is uh, somehow we've 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 forgotten that. Yeah. Let Let's shift the conversation. But I think let, it was. Let, let me say one final yeah. thing, just quickly, RJ, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. So. I host a men's circle at my house every Tuesday night. And it's a non-denominational men's circle, gay, straight, black, white, atheist, Jewish. 
people, all men of difference. If you want to be a better man, if you want to be held to a higher standard, if you want that accountability, if you want a place to take off the mask, that's what we're there for. And you couldn't find a more diverse group politically. Yet I can't tell you who voted for who in the last election because we don't care. We don't, that's not, that's not what we're there to connect over. And what I, I argue that what we connect over is what people want more than anything, right? Is that, is that feeling of connectedness, that feeling of, uh, being safe with a group of people and tribalism, in my opinion, it's so easy to romanticize tribalism today. I need to find my tribe. Like you join a CrossFit gym and it's a tribe. When I owned my gym in Australia, we were the zone tribe. But when you really look at tribal days, it was not pretty. It was us versus them. It was our survival at all costs, your demise at all costs. And it, not a lot of coexistence. And if it did occur, it was purely transactional. And if we want to live that way today, then we can. Then we will continue what comes naturally is us versus them. We establish a binary. We're right. You're wrong. I can other you because I disagree with you about abortion, because I disagree with you about the border, because I disagree with you about these other things. I can then other you. And when I have othered you enough, and when I consider your feelings, your beliefs to be evil, then I can justify in my own mind doing inhumane things Yeah, to you, which is what I believe we're seeing, you know, like the... The gay clubs in Orlando getting shot up, you know, by extreme right-wingers, just case in point. And there's, sadly in America, a million examples of what that hate looks like when it's created, when it's, you know, kindled in the wrong place. And so my concern is that when there isn't enough, when there aren't leaders in this country prepared to be responsible with this gap that's created, this division that's created between parties or belief systems, or if there isn't someone responsible willing to step up to help heal that divide, irresponsible people are going to fill in that space and fill in that void. And I think that's what we're seeing right now here in the States. I can't comment on the degree in which it's happening in Australia, if it is at all happening, but we're seeing this in Sri Lanka, we're seeing this in Brazil, we're seeing this in Myanmar, we're seeing this all over the world right now. So... My uh, my hope is examples like our men's circle is that we can identify, like you said, our Venn diagram crosses more than it doesn't. So how can we find the things we relate on as opposed to the fringe things on the outside of that doesn't cross over that we disagree on and use what we relate on to be the fertile soil in which how we can connect? There's a lot in that, Brandon. I think... You know, we have an issue of leaders deciding to politicize and add fuel to the fire when it comes to issues that are on topics. That's part of the problem, right? And to me, doing that intentionally is, and this is going to be strong, but I think that's evil. No. I actually think that is super, super bad because a smart individual is making the choice to win at the expense of the detriment of a society and which, you know, 
the untold violence, the all you know, the mm-hmm. all all the stuff that comes with that. There is blood on people's hands, and I'm not being dramatic in my view. Like I really, I feel that when you do that, when you mislead through propaganda, and you use an issue as a leverage point, like that's a, that's a pretty pretty act of evil. And 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 what blows my mind is, and I was talking to an American about this, uh, you know. With all the talent in the United States of America, <laughs> you know, where are the stoic men where or women yeah. that are making a decision to get into leadership and operate from a place of ethics first? Like, like I, I would imagine that there is no shortage and I know there isn't because I grew up there of individual like where are the people that we see in all other forms of business and military and other forms in in the United States where there's you know ethical leadership occurring why is none of that coming into the political arena the question may be once it does or if an individual like that does come into the political arena maybe the political forum in the United States just doesn't allow it to flourish. Yeah, I believe there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. I'm sure there is an answer. I don't have it. One thing I would say is to be ethical, to be have, have morality, to be stoic and unswayed by the direction of any political party that you choose to align yourself with, that is a formula to be very unsuccessful as a politician. <laughs> You're not playing the game. And unfortunately, I feel like it's a, a, t- a fishing line that's so tangled. I don't know how we can go about untangling it. So yeah, I don't have any answers. But what you were saying is they're remarkable people. There's no shortage of people having incredible ripples on a smaller level and having greater impact. That way, you look at organizations like Movember, they've, they've done more for men's mental health than I believe any legislation ever has right, in Australia and here in the US. So there, I think it comes down to the the greater massive of our population here that is hoping to leave this earth and people that they meet better than when they found them. It's going to depend on that as opposed to any individual who can, who can lead us out of these... Uh, these choppy waters so mate i'm not too sure hence my kind of political homelessness um we try and keep uh, our sovereignty in our own kingdom of this household and you know it's good to stay, stay up to date with what's happening in the world but we try not to get too bogged down with what's happening kind of politically in that sense and someone might say that's naive because you need to know what's going on to know your place and know the future and i've got a neighbor just down the road here who will be like well, before you know it, the government's going to have their hands so far up your ass and they're going to be able to do anything they want with you and blah, 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 and you need to protect yourself with guns and da-da-da. And I'm like, ah, that doesn't necessarily sit with our philosophy in a sense. And guns is a different one. I, I, I'm still not used to guns. I like shooting them. It's a lot of fun, but I'm still, I still don't know where I stand on having them in my household. Um, so yeah, they, they, America is a trip. It's a real trip right now. I feel like there's... Uh, a lot happening right now part of it makes me miss home and part of it makes me 
excited to be in a country where there's a lot of change happening mm. on a grand stage. So, yeah, it's been a yeah, I've got, journey. I've got friends in Tennessee. Now, one is from Australia. They're a couple. She's from Brisbane. To lived in Sydney and he's Canadian but lived in Australia. That's where I met him and he, he met her and he's down south. And uh, we have... Uh, we have good conversations because when I met him, he was like a, he was kind of really left, you know, Canadian and he had big ideas about working for an NGO and now yeah, he's yeah. corporate. We make jokes about it. Like he's got kids, he's got to make the money. Right. So yeah, I kind yeah. of, I, was, you know, I do the, I do the sellout jokes, but um, anyway, so let's talk about yourself, Brandon, in, in terms of where you're at. So you've had, and you have a nine week old. Yeah. Nine week old. Yes, I did. Yeah. What has been the biggest shift or realization pre nine weeks to post nine weeks for you? <laughs> Before I answer that, physically, can you see it under my eyes right now? <laughs> you st- you, Brandy, you're still one of the prettiest blokes I know. Oh, so. oh shucks. I say that. <laughs> say that to all, say yeah. to all, 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 all your guests. <laughs> um, so yeah, she gave us a rough night last night, but, uh, man shift. I was having this conversation. I worked out with a buddy of mine this morning and, uh, I brought Bindi with me. It's my daughter. Um, brought her with me and did the workout and we did some Wim Hof, like did some breath work at the end, which was really cool. And during that breath work, I had this like, just like really emotional experience of, um, just seeing her face and, and the, the, immense rush of all these different emotions the the joy of new life and new beginnings and and having this joyful little creature in my life uh the sadness that comes with uh the what it that you know and the fear that comes with what ifs like what if anything was to happen to her the anger that comes with uh, the things I can't do now because I'm responsible for this child, like <laughs> that little bit of resentment that's come up. Um, <clears throat> the shame of if, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right things? You know, th- those kind of what if questions. And I came out of it and shared that with him. He sits in my men's circle too. And I kind of pulled her out of her car seat and was just looking at her. And I said, mate, th- there was no moment where I always envisioned that when I was going to become a father, I'd feel like an adult. And, and I don't, <laughs> I feel like me, <laughs> I feel like me as I, as I ever have been me in a way. Um, I guess what's different was when Christine was pregnant and we we're going through the motions, so much work goes into preparing for a baby. My goodness, the OB appointments and Christine's high risk. So we, every week I'm in there with her and we're looking at the scan of our little blueberry turned, you know. Kiwi turned um, papaya and and that emotional journey. And and we had a we had an ectopic pregnancy prior to that. So we had a miscarriage prior. So there was that emotions kind of thrown in. So I feel like the whole pre- preparation of the pregnancy, the impact that that was having on me was that things are changing. The status quo is being shook inside of me. Um. But there was always that question of like, am I going to be able to handle fatherhood? I've always had this idea that I wanted like a million kids, always wanted to be a dad since I was four. There was no, um, I want to be a policeman. I want to be an astronaut. It's like, I want to be a dad. I just knew that. 
But as it came closer, I was like, man, what, what relationship am I going to have with this, this human? We didn't know if it was going to be a boy or girl. We waited. Um, and I found it so surreal that when Bindi was born and she was up on Christine's chest and we find out it's a girl and there's crying and tears, there was no moment of, this is my child. I will protect you for the rest of you, you know, your days. I am here to serve you. It was, that's a baby, not that's my baby. It was real surreal, real like dissonance going on here. Yeah. But every moment, every day, every milestone, it's like it's slowly integrated into my mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it comes when I'm dropping her off at kindergarten for the first time or she starts calling me daddy or there's still a part of me that goes, like, you know, when you turn a new age, like, I turned 30 just a couple weeks ago. People ask me my age. I still say 29. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like that. It's not like, Hey, Brandon, what do you do? Or tell me about you. Dad isn't the first thing that comes up yet. So it's, yeah, it's weird, man, because I always envisioned it was going to be this spiritual experience, but really it's this like slow, yeah, slow osmosis that's occurring. Yeah. And the cool thing about that is there's no, uh, downward dip because yeah. there was no peak. Yeah, it's no, only yeah. it's only been a gradual climb, which brings more enjoyment, more love, more laughter, more happiness. Um, some of that love and happiness disappears at three in the morning when I want to walk into the creek with her. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it's it's so there's so many things happening in our lives, new house. We just got married, but we have our ceremony coming up, like big 200 people ceremony. Like we have all this stuff happening at once. So this Wim Hof breath work this morning was kind of cool to really feel my heart and my soul give me that signal of, yeah. that's, your, that's your daughter, you're a dad. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, and I do agree with you on uh, that whole process of becoming a dad. I was talking to my wife about this, I think after our first or second, I don't remember. And she had made this really good point that is women, they have developed a relationship with this baby for nine months. And for us, it hasn't been real. Yeah. And, you know, and then all of a sudden this baby pops out i very much to your point felt the same way as well and i have to be honest with you like i've learned to love my children because it's another relationship like i don't think i don't know maybe it's a father thing maybe some fathers have it maybe it's a human thing but for me i found that it's through time and investment and uh you know those moments together like any other relationship that you learn to love right there there was an interesting study done where it was a uh, it was a study on meaning and i don't know the actual detail of it but i'll give you the gist 
they had um, interviewed a bunch of new parents and what they found was every parent was like, this is fucking hard. Like this is ridiculously <laughs> hard. Yeah. But, but it gave them meaning. Mm. And the, the, the end result of this study was what's, what gives us meaning is hard. It's not necessarily fun. Because I would say rearing a child, yeah, there's moments that are fun, but it's not fun. Like, dude, it's not fun. The process is hard. I mean, I'm only nine weeks in, and I have definitely loathed certain moments for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you have those moments where we're together, and you know, you get to smile, uh, but it is a crucible. And I mean, particularly for you, bro, like you're now going through the whole process of marriage, ceremony, baby, new place. Like, are you feeling, have you had moments where you're just feeling separated and not together because of this change? Like, how have you coped with just the multiple moving parts? Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely have felt that separation. You know, like case in point, we move into this house. We go from 1,500 square feet, so 500 square meters, to 4,500 square feet, whatever that is in meters. So we've tripled our size. And with that came a master shower that had black mold, a a two-story deck that's pulling away from the house, Uh, you know, water that's coming in through the walls because we're below grade, um, all these things, right? All these things happening at once. And not only that, we did that. We bought this and sold our last house in Christine's third trimester. So this was typical millennials. Let's just do it all at once to see the elephant. <laughs> and so, yes, there's been plenty of time for what I would call distraction from actually witnessing and feeling the moment. In fact, I'm only kind of coming to this awareness now that that breath work I did this morning where I felt those feelings for Bindi, that's the first time I've really kind of felt that since she was born, which tells me that I've been, oh, wow, yeah, this is probably telling me that I've been living a lot in my head because I got contractors coming in and out of the house. My wife's back at work. I'm teaching at nights, so I'm trying to prepare. It took me three hours to prep dinner the other night, RJ. Three hours. Because you shouldn't wield a knife with a baby. And she was going through her six to eight week little whingy, sookie time where she wanted to be held 24-7. And so there hasn't been those moments of really connecting to source my, you know, my inner self. Which has definitely made me feel separated probably from my wife, from people around me. Mm. Um, Yeah, survival. It's definitely been survival. I would say, unfortunately, there's no shortage of people around me going, it's okay, you just had a baby. (laughs) Mate, I would argue that this is, uh, yeah, I think in, particularly for people that are growth orientated and looking at building a life, this for you is one of those rubber meets the road moments where it's going to take not only everything you've learned to date, but more to ultimately move through this. And I would argue that your friends are right. Like there is a reason you're on autopilot. Mm. 
because you've got to get shit done. And to kind of sit there and try to soak in and be in the moment, you know, unless you're Zen-like and most Zen masters don't have kids and households to run. They're sitting on a mountain, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's all well and good when you're not being screamed at by a baby and trying to cook dinner and run a business and fix a house that's falling apart. Uh, not to mention the dad bod's kind of real, you know, like the dad bod's real. So I've like, I've got a 25 K in like two weeks and just to kind of get the gears moving again and trying to get started meal prepping today and just getting those kind of, I was trying to think there's definitely been a kind of a, a malaise in my life the past couple of years. Partly because I found the love of my life and I found the place I want to grow a family and, you know, I'm growing a career and I kind of took the, I put the self-development microscope away to just do the work, you know, kind of quit reading the books, quit listening to the podcast, just, just do the work. So I've been in that kind of warrior archetype of just doing the work. Um, not super in my feeler unless I have to, because it is a skill that I have, I have built through many years of men's work and sitting in circles. But yeah, and, and now I'm starting to find like, okay, now that there is the unavoidable responsibility of a child, I mean, you can, you can kind of drop the ball with a dog, right? You know, I haven't really walked the dog in a couple of days or weeks or, you know, I haven't really kept up with their flea and tick. Like you can, <laughs> you can do that and no one's, there's no real catastrophic result. I can't do that <laughs> with my daughter. Um, I can't do that in my marriage and, and, but I can do that to myself. And so now that the calendar is getting far more colorful and now that I'm getting far less time, uh, I'm reminded of when I, you know, used to own my gym on the Gold Coast, it was 4am wake up. It was 9pm bedtime. It was regimented. I, I meal prepped on Sundays. Like I gave four hours to meal prep. Like that stuff is coming in as kind of like it's necessity to just keep forward motion i knew we'd get to the ultra habits part of this conversation at some point <laughs> yeah i mean we you and i've talked about it though the the paradigm of uh, not owning your time anymore you will have to optimize i when i had my first child i lost meditation and i lost it for five years because what happened was I developed a habit of not doing it. When I tried to do it, it was just chaos in the house. I was too tired. And I started to run and felt like I needed to move my body. First thing in the morning was more important than a formal meditation. I'm probably now at a point where over the last few months, particularly um, over the last month or so, I've ramped up my meditation. I go in a separate room. I've got a bit um, of a, a routine down with it, but it's, you know, and a friend said this to me when I used to be deep in meditation and he was fucking always tired because he had little kids and I'd look at him, he just looked wrecked. He's, he, he meditated too and he was like, bro, when you have kids, all that shit. Like what he, what he was trying to say is like, you know, you, you're still going to have to be solid and you're still going to have to have your routine and your regiment but a lot of those activities that were about quiet time and they're there, they're, and then, you know, and, and the part of the reason I dropped the meditation was because I tried to do it and it would get disrupted and then I'd beat myself up for it. Yeah. And it, 
it wasn't serving me, right? Or the thing that disrupted you. Did you oh, ever go there? Well, it'd be screaming kids. Like it yeah. was just a lack of ability to, yeah. I mean, I was cutting chicken today, you know, go to Costco, love, love my Costco membership, buy like five kilos of chicken and I'm, you know, cutting it and marinating it and doing all the rest. And then midway through, you know, Bindi should be asleep for at least like two hours. Like I, I, I'm, I'm getting her schedule pretty down and she sleeps for 20 minutes and then boom, screams. And I'm like, I am leaving chicken on the counter right now. I hate the fact that I am leaving all this chicken just sitting there. And I, I wasn't thinking, oh, rats, now this. Well, we'll work it. No, I'm thinking that little, <laughs> how inconsiderate of that nine-week-old that doesn't even have access to a prefrontal cortex. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, was there a part of you, like, so you said like five years, no meditation and, and, you know, credit to running. I can only speak for me. Running is very meditative, um, in a, in its own way, but not necessarily sitting on a cube or a cushion and, you know, doing breast. Was there a part of you when people were saying, as you're coming into fatherhood, like, Hey man, forget meditation, forget this, forget that. Was there a part of you that ever went, I asked this cause I did this. Nah, not me though. Nah, I'll be able to meditate. I'll be able to get it in. I'll be able I, to. I, 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 yeah. Look, I, I think ultimately, if I really had wanted to, I would have. What I found when I'm traveling well. Okay, the interesting thing for me, my relationship to meditation. So I, you know, I let it go. I started running more. It was meditative in nature. But I still wasn't uh, sitting down in a process, which I think one should do mm. for meditation. Like, I think the whole act of moving, running meditations and stuff, you're still missing the component of focus and being and sitting with self. You're, when you're moving, you have the ability to kind of be distracted oh, yeah. in, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I was okay for many of those years is I was okay being manic to a degree. I didn't have an issue or I didn't feel chaotic, if that makes sense. Like I was kind of just doing life. I had the kids through those years. I was running, I was exercising. I didn't feel the dis-ease from not meditating. What's happened recently, uh, and you and I had this conversation on your show, was I think I hit another plateau where I started to go into my thoughts more in a negative way. And the moving and the constant moving wasn't like I wasn't, I wasn't shifting, you know, when I say the constant moving to things like running. And so I think I, I needed to come back to the mat. Um, and I, I might have been able to find that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, generally you and I are people that we're going to do what we really want to do. Right. So even with the screaming kids and the crazy schedule, um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there was part of me that thought, you know what, I'm still going to hold on to this and, and do it uh, when my mate particularly told me, and this is before I had kids, 
but then I just realized that my meditations weren't, you know, with the kids, the, you know, I was either tired or the quality of it. And when I did have time to do it, I just wasn't, I was so wrecked. I just let it go because it wasn't serving me. Um, so now that you're, you're in this space, you've realized that you're, you kind of, particularly from the session you've had today with the breathing work or the breath work, you've got some realizations. What do you want to do to move forward? Like how has, and I know it's fresh, let's say the session you had today and the realizations and what's come up for you. Like, what do you think the way forward is for you? Small anecdote to answer that. It will require accountability. So I'm not like, so I, I firmly believe that willpower and motivation is an exhaustible resource. It's exhaustible. And I believe anyone that has that kind of David Goggins esque kind of nature about them, uh, they're fronting. I think everyone has a point where they just, I mean, uh, like yourself, you know, I've only ever known you to be a supreme achiever and you're taking this season of life right now to just slow things down, recover, sharpen the ax, which is what our conversation was like on my show. In order for me to perform at a high level, I don't have that self, like that well that I can tap into. Not unless something really pisses me off. <laughs> but when I have accountability around me, when I have that friend who is willing to get up at six in the morning while it's raining and seven degrees outside, I know they're going to be at the trailhead to go run. And it's up to me of whether I'm going to keep my agreement and be there, you know. My buddy Neil, who I worked out with this morning, he's he will never say no to things like that. Hey, you know, at my 30th in December, it was like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. What's that in Celsius? Freezing pretty cold. Cold. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm turning 30. Do you want to go jump in the Tennessee River? And he was like, didn't even, didn't even. Yeah, I could have a million times talked myself in and out of that. And he just goes, yep, sure. So moving forward, I shared that aha and awakening with him. And I think moving forward, when I have people like that, that can witness those moments for me, they can help anchor me to those moments. Uh, I don't want to put that pressure on my wife. I want to share it with her, but I don't want to put that. That's not her job, right? It's my job. Uh, but I have friends and men whom I care deeply about and they care about me, that they will help me continue my journey towards that and making that a common practice. Um, I mean, he and I, uh, as I mentioned previously, he sits in my men's circle and he and I mentioned that they were getting a little bit repetitive. Um, what can we do to start shaking it up? And, you know, let's go on a hike. Let's go on a hike that Tuesday. Let's do some breath work the next Tuesday. Let's do a sauna the next Tuesday. Let's, you know, have a meal the following Tuesday, like to keep it fresh, but there is intention. There is an opportunity to do some breath work. There is a chance to kind of tap in to that heart stuff and get out of the head. So in your pre-interview checklist, it's like, hey, get to the point. Um, 
I've totally broken the rules today. No, you haven't. No, no, <laughs> no. You, it uh, actually Tove created that checklist, and and nice. it's more around free flowing dialogue, and it's you've been on point, and your guy is on point. So, one of the things that worked for me mm. was being very clear on the vision of how I wanted my child to see me. Right. So like I wanted to my child from the moment they could remember to see me fit, to experience me in a way that was optimized. Mm. So I think that can be a very strong why to ensuring that you're maintaining and continuing to evolve it's now you know for your child to see and witness your sermons being unfolded to them through your actions yeah right and there's you know so i i would argue it's not going to be perfect it's not going to be pretty you and I had these conversations, I remember, but you know, particularly on the physicality front, I had a Matt Burpees became my best friend during very, you know, during my, my child's youngest uh, weeks and, and years, you know, 20 minutes of Burpees, whatever, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you, you don't have to make it an event, but I would argue um, that particularly, you know, one could say, well, good sleep is a, is a, is a parent, but that may not always be an option. Sometimes you just got to push those endorphins to keep going. Mm -hmm. So that might mean a quick workout. Um, I think the self-care piece is huge. I, I, I find with the culmination of chaos through parenting in, in what you're going through, you really find the edges of your capability you would really be experiencing the edges of your capability right now, no doubt, in terms of emotional bandwidth, psychological bandwidth. But this is a growing point for you, Brandon. Like this is this is where you're going to stretch exponentially. And you're right. Like you're at a place where you don't, you're not going to be, you, you may not have the time to read or consume the material, but it's implementation. You know what you need to do. Dude. Yeah. These words will no doubt at many points bite me in the butt, but there are times, so I have this narrative of, I've always had this narrative of you could be doing more, you know, going to bed at night, you could be doing more as a very common, common thought process. Um, so when parenting is easy, there's a part of me that goes, oh, but it's because you're not putting in as much effort. When there is possibly this other part of me that intuitively is just kicking ass and like, I got this, you know, like I, I am the swaddle king. I can swaddle a baby like the tightest little burrito, you know, <laughs> I, I know that I couldn't, yeah, I can put a, I can put a baby to sleep so quickly. Like all these little things that I'm like, yeah, but then there's a part of me that's like, no, it's feeling easy because you're not doing enough. Yeah. Um, and it takes me to some words of mentor when we got pregnant the second time with Bindi 
I called a mentor of mine just to kind of process the reality of what was happening. Like we made it to 12 weeks. Okay, we are kind of in a safer zone. And I was asking him about parenthood and, and me and, and my parent parenting and how, what it's going to look like. And, and I, I started saying words like, you know, I need, I want to be here for, it was it at the time. I want to be here for it. I want to, you know, be this person for it. I want to look a certain way, be a certain way. And he goes, well, what if your child was here for you? What if your child's sole purpose was to actually be here for you as a parent? And I went, wow, that's not a common narrative. It's always, it's not about you anymore. It's about the kid. And he was saying, well, what if it was the other way around? Not that it will be, not that it has to be. But that was an interesting reframe to look at the relationship and go, man, I am going to get so good at achieving so much with so little in the gas tank. That's a great callus to build on my hands as I, you know, I, I personally believe that my best professional years are probably going to happen in my late 30s and 40s. Like, I, I honestly, I'm not reserving that time for now. I'm reserving that time for later. Whether it happens or not, I don't know. But maybe the grit and the dirt under my nails comes from this crucible, as you said, of having a newborn. And, and we don't plan on stopping. Like, we plan on having a, a couple. So that, you know, this kind of, training ground is perfect for me at this stage of life because I really do feel like I'm snipping boyhood in a big way into manhood through this journey it doesn't feel like an instant strike of lightning it feels like it's just you know with home ownership and marriage it feels like these just steps towards it and what's evidence of that is now how much joy I get when I'm not changing the next diaper. How much joy I get when Bindi's asleep. How much joy I get yeah. when I squeeze in those 10 minutes of burpees. Yeah. It's like, wow, what I yeah. took for granted before. It's so, that's exactly right. Smells smell better, colors are yeah. more colorful, the feels are more feeling. So it feels like I was made for this. And it also feels like I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing some of the time too. So yeah, it's perfect. It's been it's been the greatest thing ever. And um, I'm trying to cr- I'm always trying to cross the river too early at the next milestone or the next thing that's going to happen or what am I going to do if Bindi has friends whose parents I hate? Like these random questions, <laughs> thoughts come into my head. I'm like, we what do I do? about that? Yeah, what, what do I do when that happens? But goes to show that's how yeah. you know my modus operandi right now is the head kind of running the survival game whereas mm. my heart and my intuition probably has enough to steer the ship definitely i mean you got to remember that we're biologically programmed for this this is why we're here really not to wear clothes and have podcasts and drink days <laughs> right like and i think your friend your mentor we, we can po- we can podcast without clothing on rj yeah <laughs> next one I don't know. You're too pretty for me, Brandon. Next conversation. <laughs> but I think your mentor's comments right on. Like it's something that's happening for you, not to you. I think that reframe, like we've done this. This is, it's actually drives a greater level of accountability, removes victimhood. Mm. If you think about it, that frame. Mm. 
Now we're going to wrap this up. I want to ask you a question. We always talk about habits. I'm going to throw this out at you from left field to new fathers, you know, that have just had a baby. What are a couple things or one thing that you feel you've learned over your nine weeks that either you're doing or you're going to do or you know that you should do? Look at you yawning. You're tired. See? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's for real, dude. But uh, like, what would your advice be on that um, habit? A habit. So I believe for anyone to have an opinion on something that has any weight to it, they need to have both the authority and the empathy to say it. Like authority as in been there, done that, got this t-shirt, here's why I think this is important. But cu couple that with empathy of, I get it, I've been there, I understand how it is. I have the empathy without the authority in this instance because I'm only nine weeks in. But one thing I can say is working for me is to know the ineffable truth that it takes a tribe to raise a kid. And I am so grateful that I took my wife. If, if I ever want to achieve anything, like get my way, I just have to take my wife to Thai food. It's just like the elixir to make her say yes to anything. Moved to Australia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know the Thai food's so much better in Australia. Um, so I take her to Thai and I go, I go, babe, you know, how do you feel? You know, we don't talk about our 10 year plan. She and I never did. It was like next week, six months, whatever. And I was like, do you see us getting a bigger house? She goes, yes. Go, okay. Do you possibly ever see your mother living with us? And she goes, that would be a dream, but I would never expect that of you. And I said, I get that. That's it's kind of, there's always jokes about that. Like you're telling a mother, like, mother, yeah, mother-in-law. Um, and I said to her, I said, well, I want you to know that's something that I'd be you know, willing to entertain. Um, hence the 4,500 square foot home that has its own separate two bed, two bath apartment in the in, down below. Got her own deck, her own entrance, garage, everything. Because of that conversation, we now have the ability for my daughter to have the most valuable quality time she will ever have with someone other than me and Christine and subsequent siblings, children. She's going to get that with her grandma. My mother-in-law is going to get that with her granddaughter, right? Someone who's had to raise children while working two jobs and, and insane hours. Now she gets the ability in her retirement to get that quality time. Uh, I have the ability to call on my mother-in-law. Can you please take the baby? <laughs> Just so I can take a shower. Um. So the thing I would say is it's not your sole responsibility to make sure this kid turns out as a functioning human being <laughs> in society and is raised well. Lean on your family members if you are so fortunate to have them nearby or near you. Uh, lean on your friends and family that also would love to be a part of this kid's life. You'll be amazed how many people are just waiting for you to ask them to babysit. Or just waiting for you to ask them to take them for a weekend. Or... Particularly because they can give the baby back. <laughs> they can, yeah, 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 they can give them back for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what I would say because uh, Christine and I have great tools. I'm sure we could raise a great kid. 
but we are not everything that Bendy needs in her life. There are other role models out there. There are other people that can influence her and teach her. I mean, mate, I'm not even a Christian and I'm entertaining with Christine, us finding a church. That So that there is that congregation, that community, other kids, yeah. right? She gets a chance to learn from others, um, other teachings, other ideas. So, mate, it takes a tribe. It takes a tribe. And, and if you don't, if you're listening and you don't necessarily have that network or that support, um, find it. Yeah. Cause it's there. It's, it's, it's how you make it. It's how you treat people. It's the relationships you garner and nurture. And I'm grateful for the tribe we have. Yeah, no, it's a great way to close. Brandon, where can our audience learn more about you? Where can they find you, bro? Yeah. So Brandon Clift on all socials. Uh, I don't really hang out on Twitter. Not that cesspool. I'm mainly just on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me at Brandon Clift, C-L-I-F-F-O-X-T for Tango. And check out the Mankind podcast. Uh, you will see a little yellow thumbnail with a bunch of hands. That's our podcast thumbnail. Um, we are just hitting 100 episodes. RJ, you were episode 98. Um, we've had some phenomenal people join us to talk all things manhood, masculinity, uh, taking off the masks, you know, identifying the journey of man in the 21st century. Our mission is to break the molds of modern manhood to prove that there is more than one way to be a man, not just the rigid ideas of manhood that we were given by our parents and they got from their parents and then their parents. So we have a lot of courageous conversations of around taboo topics, topics that you may be afraid to bring up at the workplace water cooler or around the dinner table. So we've tackled, uh, whether successfully or not, we've tackled racism, misogyny, uh, sexual violence, all sorts of things to have the conversation first so you don't have to. Uh, have it first. We want you to have it second after the have to having listened and then know that if we can normalize these conversations, then we can actually start to do some things about them and move forward. So, yeah, I highly recommend this show. I think it's one of the greatest podcasts, conversation, um, conversations around male and societal issues. And mm -hmm. I think that you guys go really deep. So I will put that in the show notes, but we are going to land this plane now, Brandon. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show, bro. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, RJ. Till next time. Love these. See you, brother. Yeah, mate.